0: Harvest Time Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Before we start, I'm just going to pray for us. So let's just give God this moment as the kids leave. I encourage you to just uh, let your mind sit. Just rest your mind. Let all the thoughts settle. Lord, we just ask that your presence... Would begin hearts, Lord. Begin to shift thinking. Lord, we thank you for a spirit of new. Today is a new day. Today is the day that you have chosen for us to live in. So, Lord, we just live in this moment right now. We honor you with our presence, us being present in this moment. God, may you come and speak through me this morning. Would you open ears to hear your word, Lord? Thank you, Father. Amen. You should see me prepare a sermon. It's absolute chaos. <laughs> I have like four or five different notebooks, and I just pull ripped pages out and then put them together. And I try and sit down and get one well-thought-out idea, but as I begin to refine, all these new ideas come and so it just becomes more chaotic. And then I have to go away for an hour and fight my mind and, and just sit there and let the Lord start to put the pieces bit by bit together without me then going off in another tangent and trying to bring something else into the mix. So I'm not... Um, if you know me, you, you know that I love talking. Like I absolutely love talking. But when it comes to being articulate and and speaking a word that is specific um, and that is ordered, um, it's, it's something that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mitchell, stop laughing. Um, <laughs> so today I'm going to talk about something that is... I want to um, just take a moment to come away from a lot of the... Uh, I don't know how to say it, but a lot of the Christian concepts that we're used to talking about, and everyone takes a deep breath, they're like, oh no. Um, And I want to just put, I want to talk about something that as I begin to put it in perspective in, in my life, and as I begin to focus on this one concept, it's actually beginning to bring me relief. It's starting to give me more moments like we just had before, where we get to sit and focus on being present. Letting go of the hurry, letting go of the pace. And I'm going to talk about that one thing, and that one thing, eternity, and being eternal. Because what I find in in the church at the moment is we have this way of viewing our Christianity, and the first one is as Savior, sorry, as being by our Savior, and being rendered fresh, and new, and complete, and holy righteous and above reproach like it says in Colossians 1. But then there's the other side which is having access to the kingdom and living this life whereby we die and then somehow turn up in this somewhat body or thing and then spend eternity with the Lord. But then there's this big gap in between and the gap is real life. The gap is living and breathing and eating our breakfast and eating our dinners. And that is also where all of our pain comes from. All of our pain comes from being let down, um, being disappointed, being anxious, frustrated. All of these things exist for us in this now moment. And we spend so much time thanking the Lord as Savior, much time thinking about heaven that so often we forget to actually learn to live in the now and learn to live in this time that God has very clearly ordained and is what I'm starting to realize one of the most fundamental parts of our ministry. It's the most fundamental parts of our existence is now. Let us begin. All right. A new pulpit that has bigger lips, eh this thing is just slidey ass I'm going to read my notes because it's good it's good for me to read through notes, but the first thing I want to do is I want to thank Julie for letting me be here. Um, I miss this, but it's it's I should have said this earlier, but it, it is important um We have some of the most empowering pastors that i've ever witnessed and experienced. And Liv and I are very blessed. We've been pastored by Jules and Holly for a, quite a long time. It's like four or five years. A bit more casual at the beginning, but now it's, it's fire. It's awesome. But I just want to honor these guys um, for even giving me this opportunity, trusting me. Um, yeah, I appreciate you. Our family appreciates you so dearly. I also want to thank Brad. I don't think Brad's here this morning, but Brad shared a word on Sunday night. He came as as one of the fathers of the house and preached this incredible word, which meant that the word that I'd prepared earlier, a couple of weeks prior, I literally just put aside because of this word that he spoke, shifted my thinking so radically that on Monday, I started to manifest and actually practice what he was talking about on Sunday night. And to me, that's what a powerful message is. And as I'm listening to him speak with this single piece of paper, just reading down, talking about his life experience and how he responds to issues and how he, you know, tackles tensions in his life, I was changed it wasn't about the cleverness it wasn't about being entertained by you know his tone of voice and i mean he has an amazing south african accent but it really shifted something in me which made me realize that's that's what i want to do whenever i speak i don't want to entertain i want to just talk about what has shifted my thinking in my life what is changing the way that I see God and what is affecting my week to week, my day to day outside of a Sunday. So thanks, Brad. Mm. I'm having a sim moment. I'm taking my time because I want this to be simple. It's a big concept. It's a big concept. But when the Lord died for us on the cross, His blood was shed for all of us so that we can partake in this relationship with Him. This relationship that is unbreakable, unshakable. He restored us to a place where we have access to this thing called the kingdom of heaven. This, this place that C.S. Lewis does a very good job at illustrating in his books. J.R. Tolkien also does a great illustration of heaven and these spiritual places. But at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's still hard for us to grasp this concept of what is Heaven and Paul pens this beautiful scripture in um, Galatians two twenty, and it says, "No longer I, but He who lives in me." And these verses we hear all the time. We 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 are reminded constantly in sermons about um, you know accepting the Lord as our Savior and 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 accepting our identity and becoming formed in the likeness of Christ. But when you actually break down these concepts in everyday life, it's, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of mystery. There's actually a, it's, it's, it's actually quite hard to apply these concepts. And I started to explore with the Lord, you know, what, what does this look like in my life as a business owner with three kids, a wife, being on staff at church, my life is hectic. What 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 does this look like to me personally? What does being saved look like? And again, the the instant kind of thing that I will do is then look at my life and go, okay, how good a person am I? <laughs> how how much evidence do I have of this salvation? Do I have a clean mind? Do I do I have clean motivations? And I, and I begin to draw out this spectrum that then essentially drives me into this place of self-justification. And what the Lord has been showing me for my life with the Lord, I'm very blessed that I have spent most of my conscious life with the Lord, and He's fathered me so dearly. I'm so grateful of Him. And... One one thing that God is challenging me on, and or has always challenged me, is that I can't justify myself, and I can't be the one to earn my place in heaven. And I know, again, we've all heard this before, but we still all do it. <laughs> we all. Do it. Whenever we make a mistake, whenever we do something that is wrong, we are the hardest on ourselves. We are first to cast judgment against those that also struggle, that 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 try and I mean the, the greatest example is when someone is appearing to be good and then you find out something that is not good about them, and it's like I feel justified in my judgment. We all do these things. And so with the Lord, I'm like, okay. We live in a in a society and a Christian kind of ecosystem where we're trying to fight against this and push against this, but we're still wrestling. It's still very hard. Gossip goes from look at that person to, oh, I'm concerned about this person. <laughs> you know, we just it changes forms. It's slightly different coloring in the fabric. But then the Lord said. To me, he was like, it's because the church is moving too quickly and they've forgotten that they are eternal. They have forgotten that the promise of my death is that from the moment they receive my good news and confess with their mouth that I am their Lord, their days are no longer numbered. And the only time that we get to actually exists in that timeless, everlasting life is right now, in this exact very moment. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, it's impossible. Yesterday has gone and tomorrow will be, but in terms of our participation with this eternal life that we've been promised is right in this exact moment right now. Yet so many of us don't take the time to live now. We live for tomorrow or we live regretting yesterday. And what we're doing is we're robbing ourselves of the very thing that Jesus promised us and the very thing that in and of itself is insane. It's eternity. It's forever. It's no longer death. It's, it's literally us with this mind now forever as we grow and progress with the Lord forever. And that's what I, I'm gonna talk about specifically is what does this what does this look like if we were to die right now what would it look like when we woke in this place of heaven? How does eternity actually translate? So I'm gonna read a um a quote from one of my very quickly... Well, be, he's becoming one of the heroes very quickly. He's amazing. His name is Dallas Willard. And um, We're going to get that... Oh, we're here. Let's read together on the screen. Thanks, Riley. This is from one of his books that I'm reading, The Divine Conspiracy. It says, When we pass through the stage normally called death... We will not lose anything but the limitations and powers that specifically correspond to our present mastery over our body and to our availability and vulnerability to and and through it. We will no longer be able to act and be acted upon by means of it, our body. Of course, this is a heart-rending change to those left behind. But on the other hand, loss of those be- abilities begin to occur in most cases long before death. It is a normal part of aging and sickness, The body, as intermediary between the person and the physical world, is losing its function as the soul prepares for a new arrangement. But along this passage, we do not lose our personal sense of who we are. And all of our knowledge of relationships to other persons will remain intact, except once again insofar as they are mediated through the body and its physical environment. Indeed, we will then be in possession of ourselves as never before, and the limited universe that we now see will remain, though that universe will not be as interesting as what we shall then see for the first time. Heaven. We will not disappear into an eternal fog bank, or dead storage, or exist in a state of isolation, or suspended animation, animation, as many seem to suppose. God has a much better use for us than that. Stated, in other words, our experience will not be fundamentally different in character from what it is now, though it will change in significant details. The life we now have as the persons we are now are will continue and continue in the universe in which we now exist. I just want to read that again. The life we now have now as the persons we now are will continue and continue in the universe in which we now exist. Our experience will be much clearer, richer, deeper, of course, because it will be unrestrained by the limitations now imposed upon us by our dependence upon our body. It will instead be rooted in the broader and more fundamental reality of God's kingdom and will accordingly have far greater scope. And so there are two things in here that really really changed my thinking. First is that if I was to drop dead right now, it it would be sad for a lot of you, I, I hope, including my family. But what's beautiful is that when I am resurrected in my new body, like Christ in Mark 16, which we're going to read in a sec, with our new body, we will have the same mind, We'll have the same person. We will be the same person for eternity. So I'm kind of just re- reverse engineering this a little bit. So if I was to die, regardless of what my body does and what age that I die, if I was then to pass through whatever that time frame like, Paul talks about it as sleep, and we know that when we wake up from our sleep, we don't remember falling asleep. So it assume that it's going to be somewhat quick, we wake in our new body with the same mind that we had when we just died, right? So then, my question is, what are we doing right now to prepare us for that moment that we are lifted in our new body, but with same mind, what are we doing today to help set us up and found us in a place where we can then continue on with the Lord with no restrictions of our body. So all of a sudden it becomes less about, am I doing the right thing? Am I not sinning? Am I? It actually becomes about focusing on, how am I setting myself up now? And investing in this thing that I'm going to take with me, my soul and my personality, how am I investing in this to then take to me, take with me to those heavenly places? Sorry, I know this is, it's really easy to zone out, but stay with me. In Mark 16, we get this illustration of what this body will look like. I'm going to read through it, because I don't want to just quote philosophers and not the real, true philosopher. 16, 9 to 14. I'm reading you, King James. It's really cool because we we, we get to see what what we just talked about then. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had just cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they heard that he was alive and be, had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to rest, but they did not believe them either. Already, we're starting to see that the 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 function of the body is different. Jesus is kind of just like, choo, 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 which is for all you creatives. It's really, really cool picture. But it, it's also giving evidence that, that no, we're no longer restricted by this body, right? But what's beautiful is who does he goes to? Who does he go to first? He goes to to Mary, this person that he has such history with and such an friendship with. Why? Because he remembers her. He he's he's just picking up from where he left off. And again, if we're going to take all of Jesus' words and try and spend our lives following his ministry, why, why don't we assume that this same thing that's happened to Jesus now that he's been lifted is, is not going to happen to us? It, it will. We will, like him, be raised with a new body that can chew, chew, chew around. But more importantly, we have that personality and that mind that remembers, that understands You know, I will know that I've spent my life with live in our intimate marriage together. I will know that when I get when when I get to heaven, what am I doing now to establish solid foundations to then when get to heaven that we can still share in that relationship and that knowing of each other. Alright, I've drawn a bit of an illustration. I'm not gonna show you, it's pretty simple. But I've got a little man that's standing like this. There it is. And it's I'm gonna bring some a little bit of teaching and understanding to how the body and the and this spirit, soul, personality mind, how they synonymously dance together in this life to shape and form us and prepare us for the eternal. I'll say that again because it kind of just slipped out, but separating the two parts of who we are now, our reality, our body, and our mind, soul, and personality, and talk about how they synonymously work together to form in us and challenge us and prepare us for our eternal being, our eternal body. Two parts, the physical body, everything that comes with that, the sickness, the pain, the enjoyment, the serotonin, the dopamine, the lack of those things, the hands, the feet, moving, the working, the sweating, and then the other side, which is, the core of who we are, the connection we feel. Those things that Paul says, which we're about to read for about, are not necessarily seen, but the undeniable connections and relationships we have. When your child wakes up and cries, the mother's eyes ping open, they know they, they don't have to see to know that their child is crying and that it's their child. Those those things that are in our core, the things that allow us to truly love someone or also to truly hate someone, those things are in, in, our, in our innermost core that we can see through the illustration of Jesus and that in which Paul talks about is what we will take with us, which is kind of a little scary, especially if there's that hatred in there, but we're going to talk about how God has just got this wonderful plan to create in us this tension deliberately with our body to actually prepare us for our eternal bodies. Let's jump into 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 8. And I just want you to try and take that that picture of the body split in two, the physicality and then the personality, emotional, soul side. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but those things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. So what Paul's doing is he's giving us this picture of this body and these pains associated with our body, working against us through creation tension and, in his words, a pain, to then refine these things over here, the spirit, our personality, our perseverance, our heart. So God has cleverly crafted this body to allow restriction to then push against and hold attention against this inner part of us. So that as the tension begins to grind, we then have a choice of how we respond to those tensions and as a result, manifest the result of how those tension, tensions affect us. So as we begin to get older, as we, if we get sick, I'm not denying the healing, wonderful power of the Lord. That's, that's, a, that's a, another discussion. But as we face a trial in our body, or we face a challenge, we, God has allowed this problem to then shape our hearts so that when we are in heaven, we can look back at that moment of pain and think, man, I would, if that wasn't there, I never would have had the perseverance in my soul. To then allow me to pass through other challenges that life brings to us. Paul's talking about these light afflictions because in, it, in the perspective of eternity, they are so small and insignificant, but in the moment, they are this powerful thing that allow us to slowly refine our character and slowly refine the thing that matters. The flip side is, it gives us a clear illustration of why Jesus was very adamant about encouraging us away from the things that entice our flesh. Because as we begin to entice the flesh, and I'm not talking bad things, I'm just talking general, just in general, but as we begin to entice our flesh, it then becomes the focus, And if it becomes the focus, then we rob ourselves of the thing that actually matters. And it's why fasting has lasted throughout the history of the Word. It's why tithing has lasted. Why? Because it physically hurts. (laughs) It, It hurts because it costs. Like fasting, it hurts because it costs. But Paul and Jesus, I mean all of them, but Paul and Jesus specifically are very much on this train of if you begin to put your focus on your body right now, you're literally robbing yourself of the transformation that God is wanting to produce in you right now so that when you get to heaven and you wake up from the moment that you've dropped and that second and whipping your eyes with your new body, you can carry on with the disciplines and the things that you've learned from the challenges that your body produced for you here on earth does that kind of make sense and so now we 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 all through scripture and we're going to talk about this specific bulk of scripture but throughout scripture we see that there is this focus around purity and and preserving our bodies and preserving our hearts because if we don't we then begin to elevate the flesh elevate the body and miss out on the very thing that God has created for us to carry for eternity so this isn't about not sinning for the sake of our salvation that that's that's been done but no matter how good we are we will never ever be able to justify our salvation even if we've been amazing and our sin count is super low super low and we're really nice and we feel like our motivation is great the lord is insulted by our pride in that does anything for our salvation that is the ultimate sin the ultimate sin is thinking that you are actually good enough to justify yourself to heaven The ultimate sin is like the Pharisees where they were so obsessed with being right, they literally stole Jesus' crucifixion. They stole it from Him and they blasphemed Him because they thought that they could do it in their own strength. So we don't want to be there. (laughs) We don't want to be there. We're way better off being on the other side where we're completely broken, feel useless, hopeless, and die completely with nothing, with no sense of anything but a glimpse of hope in the Lord because then He gets to do the work. But now, as a group of God-fearing, loving, Christians, instead of focusing on trying to justify ourselves by our works, we actually are empowered by the Lord to be good for the sake of preserving the thing that we will take into heaven with us for eternity. That is the reason behind why we preserve ourselves. It's not so that we can justify ourselves. And I'm saying this just to pressure off, because if you're at the moment in a stage where you're fed up and frustrated with something about yourself, or there's a little thing in the sneaky corner of the room that you feel like you can't get over, and can't move through, and you know that it's sin when you lay it out on the, on the Monopoly sin board. The Lord wants to bring you relief in this moment to know that when you fix that, or whether you fix that, doesn't dictate whether you're loved by Him or go to heaven. It's actually much bigger than that. It's more... That thing exists for you to conquer with the Lord so that the fruit of your conquering can be a little badge that you can proudly wear to heaven and say, Lord, I persevered through this and I did this because I wanted to take this with me to heaven. This is the only time in our life where we are restricted by our body. The only time in our life because our life is eternal. Our life is forever. You are eternal, Sim. It is today for eternity, every day. All of us are eternal. Those who believe in the Lord, we are eternal. Just that in and of itself is big. But what are we doing now? what are we doing now so that we're setting ourselves up each and every day to continue for eternity with this mind of progression and to be honest this my greatest question right now with the lord is is progression eternal when i get to heaven and we start reading pace is there still this learning and and acknowledging different parts of who you are in heaven i 'm not going to say what I like i 'm not going to say that one way is true or not, but to me, God created time, God created the earth, he created progression for us, and he 's taken these people that so dearly that live within this system and has said, learn to steward this system well so that you can." take the gold from that system into the new life. So I can kind of assume that there's going to be some level of progression and understanding of the Lord. We will still plod and and, and work and move with the Lord and, and begin to understand deeper um, things of who He is in heaven. Let's read from Romans 5. I've, I've just kind of... My notes are they're gone. No, they're still here, but they're just scattered. But we're gonna read from Romans five, because this is one of my favorite passages. Sorry, I know this is a little bit um I I'm preaching this word out of obedience and I and I do believe that I needed a couple of more months to rehearse this well, but I just is this landing for you guys? Are you start are you understanding what I'm talking about? Separating the two parts of our body and learning to understand what eternity means today in this moment. Yeah? Because we're going to talk about how, like how, how do we then function in today in this very moment now? How do we learn and become like Christ today in this very moment? We're going to, I've got three key points that we're going to discuss. You can buy my book, it's just up the back. I'm kidding. It's very naughty. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have asked by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character, hope. <laughs> now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in all of our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. But again, the tribulation and the pains of our body are so fundamental. So fundamental in our progression with the Lord and our deeper learnings and understanding of the Lord. We glory in those tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Character, we get hope. And to me, that character part is is that's that's one of those jewels and, and pieces of gold that we have for eternity. So, enough on eternity. Let's let's actually just talk about the most practical steps of how to become more Christ-like now. I've got fifteen minutes, and we're going to power. I might let's just read this C.S. Lewis quote because it's really good. This is Satan's perspective from C.S. Lewis's pen, of. How Satan and darkness sees this perspective of eternity. Can we get this one up too? Okay, here we go. The humans in time, but our enemy, which is God. Remember, we're talking from a demon. This is a demon speaking, and this is, of course, is pure novel writing. But it's a great analogy. The humans live in time, but our enemy—they're talking about God—destines them to eternity. He, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to an eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment, but only humans have an experience synonymous or uh, analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. It alone, freedom and actuality are offered to them. He would therefore have them continually concerned with these two things either eternity or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from God, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross. Receiving the presence, giving thanks for the pleasant pleasure. Oh, it's so good. Oh, he would have written a book if he was around I reckon, in the canon. Whew. So we're seeing this again. C.S. Lewis is very clever. He's putting a point across from the perspective of a demon, but we have. This eternal union with the Lord that God is inviting us to think about and actually dwell on. But within the present time, the now, through asking for help. Appreciating and bringing thanks for grace. And learning to just be content with the moment that we're in right now. So... I was asking the Lord this is this is a while ago this is probably like maybe may May of June this year I started to risk revelation from the Lord and I'm like how how do I how do I do this how do I become more present embrace the challenges of my body and the things that my body goes through the tensions the pains how do I embrace those and Kind of come out the other side with a refined, matured character that I can take to heaven. But not—it's not again. I don't even want to create heaven as the picture. And I'm sorry for doing this, but it's—it's—it doesn't matter because we're already heavenly beings. We just—we just won't we just have a body. We'll just have a different body. So the 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 time the spectrum is eternal from right now, as I said to you before. Every single person that sits here. There's, that death window is just a, a part. It's just a small part in our story where we get new flesh. But really, what are we doing now to set ourselves up so as we walk into eternity, we begin and continue to progress in our maturity and understanding of who He is and who we are and who the Lord has really called us to be and what our function is. And the first is abiding. You can't have relationship with the Lord without abiding with Him. It is impossible. You can't engage in any eternal spiritual experience with the Lord unless you spend time with Him. And it's not saying a quick prayer or asking Him for these things when you need them, but it is understanding that abiding is the most fundamental way for you to do life successfully. Meaning if you're not spending time with him, but you're aware of its importance and the fact that it is needed, there is a grace for that season for you to free yourself up to then come back to that place. If that makes sense. It's this again, we don't wanna be we don't wanna be Pharisees in this moment. It's not about punishing yourself because you're not spending time with the Lord, but when you appreciate how significant spending time with the Lord is for your journey, you will begin to prioritize it. You will begin to seek that place with Him to bring wisdom and to bring refinement into who you are. For he says, I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I mean, that's a whole message. Abide, in I, in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, says Jesus. You and me are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, bears much character, bears much of the substance or the thing that we will have with us for eternity. The first thing is abiding in the Lord. When we abide with the Lord, He allows us to see those things that are restricting us from conquering our battles in this time, whether it's our attitude, whether it's our motivation. Very rarely it's someone else's fault. (laughs) Most of the time it is our own responsibility. Most of the time it's our motivation. When we begin to spend time with the Lord, We understand the importance of our body affecting our eternal assets that we're going to take to heaven, right? So then we actually start to become, I want to say obsessed, but we become, we acknowledge the importance of suffering. Because for as long as we're in a place of suffering, we know that in that humility of being like, I'm here by choice because I want to be refined by you, Lord. More fruit is then produced in our life. As we abide with the Lord, we begin to focus on the things that matter, those things which hurt, those things which cost us. And I know for the disciples, to suffer was more often than not very brutal whether it was physically being stoned, whether it was being hung on on a cross, locked in a prison, whipped, their suffering was brutal, very physically brutal. But for us, I believe our opportunity for suffering is as great. We don't have to go to the mission field and these really dark places to understand what suffering looks like in Sydney. What suffering looks like is not partaking in the bread and the communion that this world partakes in, which is, I'm better than you because of this. I earn this much, so I'm more important. Or I have this look and I look like this. We, we, part of our suffering is actually negating and pulling against the system of the world and learning to live in the present learning to live far from anxiety because we live in the present not living in a place of comparison i mean deleting instagram in my opinion would be one of the greatest um, active pursuits of suffering you find fulfillment very quickly and you never go back but the just holding that app down and sliding down to delete this app Why? Because comparison, you know, one of our greatest points of suffering is learning to be content with what we have and who we are. Learning to be content with what we look like. Learning to be content with how much money we have. Learning to be content with the way our mind thinks. Maybe it's really simple and you're just simple. And maybe, maybe it's so complicated that you have no idea which way is up and down. But learning to be content and not having comparison is one of those postures of suffering. Why is it suffering? Because content right now is a real big grinder for everyone else that doesn't, you know, abide by this system of living. If you're content. People will sniff you out and try and find every reason to derail your contentment because it intimidates them. It shows them how incredibly loose and shallow their life is because they prop their life up on these things that don't matter. What they look like, what they're wearing, what they own, what they have, their achievements. But part of our great suffering now is learning to live content in the present day by day our being able to see the minutes pass by being able to recall what we've done during the day because we've moved intentionally and slowly and yes i am learning to do this better i have never really been good at this but i'm 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 learning to do this and have the last couple of months seen the effect of protecting my peace and moving in what is perceived as suffering, but learning to just live with contentment in my heart, which leads into that second thing, which is peace. And for me, it's been a—it's uh, been the uh, one of the. Uh, let's just say I, I haven't been very peaceful my entire life, and I've despised peace because there's a part of my boyish nature that just loves chaos. But peace has always been um, uncomfortable for me. But the Lord very clearly said to me, Daniel, you need to slow down and learn to find peace. And what that looks like is practicing being present, practicing to just move slowly Um, One real practical tip, which I heard Mitch Chan's dad say through a friend of mine. Sorry, I just want to give uh, honor where honor's due. But he talked about um, not just dealing with those things that are urgent in your life, but dealing with the important things in your life that are not urgent, so that you don't have urgency. And if you don't have urgency, then a lot of your anxiety is minimized because you know that it's dealt with. Which then, another practical thing for me is organization, learning to be organized with my life. Putting, for me, it practically looks like setting up my days. So, church church day is like a Monday. I call it dump day. <laughs> and I call it dump day because I dump everything that I need to do for that week in that, in that day. And a lot of the time, it's not urgent, but I'm learning it getting better at setting up all of our church group chats, um, engaging with the team, letting them know when I'm available to chat and hang during the week. Sorry, worship team, you get a lot of text messages on Monday and you will forever because it's part of my process is organizing my week so I'm never having to manage the urgent because that's when I get stressed and it allows me to be peaceful. The other really practical tip in keeping my peace is confronting tensions confronting tensions. We've had a massive busy week of church this week and Jules is like me where it's probably Jules's dump day where he's just like and Jules is like you know we've had the worship night on Friday night we've had an amazing week and Jules just like let's lock in these dates let's make it happen let's just keep going and on Saturday there was a part of me that was like okay I can ride this and, and get you know lost in this I'm just getting pummeled with things this week, but I just replied and said, I'm checked out, chat later. <laughs> and you know, to say that to your boss is pretty like, but they know my heart. But again, part of that is just confronting the tension and just confronting things in your life, like people and relationships that are causing this urgency and causing this anxiety in your heart. You can't bury these things. God doesn't let you bury these things. He wants you to, in your flesh, learn to navigate them so that your character is built, so that you're learning through those things. I can't begin to tell you how important confrontation in general is for your character those who shy away from confrontation are really missing out on what God is wanting for us for our life. The first is dealing with those things that are urgent in advance, not dealing with the things that are urgent, but the things that are important so they don't become urgent, and fronting those tensions to keep that peace. And the last, really quickly, I know my time is up, but I just wanted to encourage all of you to begin to ask Jesus to reveal himself to you as teacher because we're really good at, at giving thanks to the Lord as Savior and pouring upon him as lover and and being wrapped up in this place of oh Lord you 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 have saved me you have you have rendered me clean and now I'm here with you Lord I love you I love you it's that's our church does that really really well and we don't ever want to not do that. That is so important. But what so often gets lost is one of the most important parts of our walk with the Lord is to be discipled by Him. And the way the Jewish uh, kind of like rabbi mechanism worked is when you left your job to be discipled by your rabbi. So Jesus was a carpenter. He, um, well, as a kid, He was actually trained. But at one point in His life, he left his job to actually sit under his rabbi and learn intensively from him. That might have been six months, a year, five years. We don't really know. But that's how it worked in the Jewish culture. And then you were you either stayed in your trade or then you moved into the the, the Pharisee way of living. And you would then be raised up to become an elder in the church and you'd be a full-time minister. But what's significant is, Jesus presents himself as the ultimate rabbi. And in him presenting himself as the ultimate teacher and rabbi, it's our responsibility to position ourselves underneath him as his students. He is not just our lover, and we are not just his lovers, but he is also our master, and he is our teacher. He is the one that does so that we can follow and He teaches us. And His Word is, in and of itself, one of His greatest teaching tools. So being a student is being in His Word, seeking out revelation for how to deal with the tensions of our body. So in the perseverance of that learning and that wrestling in the tension, we then produce a character that is growing into eternity. Abiding in Him, learning to our peace and being organized, intentional about keeping our peace. And then lastly, seeing ourselves as a student. Seeing Christ as the ultimate teacher. That's it. I'm going to pray for us before we go. I'm just going to allow some space for the Spirit to speak sweeter, better words into your ears as we just take this time. Let's just take this moment to be present with the Lord. Lord, would you come right now and just grace us with a mind that is just fixed on you? Through the power of your love and your authority, Lord, that you have placed in each of our hands, I just rebuke right now any anxiety and any fear in the room. Anything that comes to oppose peace and stillness right now in Jesus' name, I declare void. I declare irrelevant and completely out in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you bring a sound mind to each, every one of us right now in this moment? Lord, teach us to fast our busy mind. Teach us to live from this moment. Lord, may our focus be today and seeing its importance in your plan for eternity, Lord. Continue to show us the promises, your eternal promises over our lives, God. Bring hope to those that are broken, Father. Teach us Teach us your perfect way of living, Lord. Intentional, deliberate, peaceful living. Continue to refine our hearts, Lord, that we look like you more and more every day. I thank you that you would you would take away any, any pain and anxiety that we have towards self, any ill vision that we have towards ourself and perspective that we have of ourself. I pray right now, Lord, it is broken. I thank you that we would, we would see ourselves and love ourselves with patience. We would trust your good plan, Lord. Lord, we thank you for an amazing week this week. Open our eyes to your wonder this week as we focus on our day moment by moment. We love you so so dearly, Lord. We love you so, so dearly. And we are the fact that you have chosen to keep us. And preserve us. Is in and of itself such a wonderful miracle. And we are so thankful. May every single person here be blessed. Lord, would you pour out just more of your presence. Lord, I just thank you for a peace that can't be mustered up by man, a peace that can't come from striving or effort would just fall on each person here today, Lord. Lord, we thank you that there would just be a holy contentment that would just flourish in every heart here this morning. We bless you, Lord. And as your sons and daughters, Father, we all say, Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please head to harvesttimechurch.org.au. Or if you'd like